I'm Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Balthasan. And welcome to the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food, Europe's leading innovation community working hard to make the food system more sustainable, healthy and trusted. At EIT Food, we're incredibly passionate about supporting entrepreneurs from all corners of the agri-food sector. And from talented innovators launching their first ideas to scale-ups attempting big moves in the marketplace, EIT Food has built a number of programs to help ventures of all shapes and sizes. So that journey as an entrepreneur, so launching a product or a service and growing this like a really strong, resilient brand, is something we really want to talk about today. And with us, we have three amazing guests from different EIT Food business creation programs. So our first guest is Ying Xiao, the co-founder of Plantic Biosciences, a company looking into new advancements in plant breeding. Plantic is part of our seedbed incubator program. Welcome to the show, Ying. Thanks. Very happy to join you here. Lovely to have you. And next up, we have Lorenzo Conti. He's the founder and MD of Crover, a company that has developed a robotic grain monitoring solution that can swim through grain storage units to monitor the condition of what's inside. Really interesting technology. So Crover is an alumni of the Seedbed program last year and is currently a member of the EIT Foods Accelerate Network. So welcome to the podcast, Lorenzo. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And finally, someone we've met on this podcast before. So Solvega Packsteiter, founder and director at Mimica. The company's first product, Mimica Touch, is a temperature-sensitive label for food packaging that can tell you exactly when your food has gone off. And Mimica are also part of EIT Foods Rising Food Stars Association. Great to have you with us, Solvega. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks all for being here. So we want to hear all about your stories as entrepreneurs today and hopefully share some great advice for our listeners. But one thing that immediately strikes us is that all of your companies start from incredibly disruptive ideas. So you're all challenged the status quo, the traditional methods of doing things. So to kick off, do you think you need to have a particularly good background in business or a huge wealth of experience to launch a company and disrupt the marketplace? Or is this all about the idea? So Ying, what do you think? I think that's a very interesting point because I myself come from a business background. My co-founder is the scientist. So we really complement each other. I do think that the idea is very, very important, but I also think that the idea alone is not really going to work. You can have a bunch of really brilliant ideas, but whether they will work in the real market, um, how to really take that step from laboratories to the market, I think there's a really long way to go. So I think it will really help to have the business part of things as well, so that you know you you know how to test your ideas, whether it will work. You know um, which customers to speak to. So yeah, I would say yeah, it would be very good to also have the business part of things. And Lorenzo, I think for you, it's a it's a different perspective, right? You're the scientist. So what do you think? Uh, indeed, I come from a scientific background, so it's been a learning curve. Uh, as I started off, uh, the only business knowledge that I had was the equivalent of uh, A-levels economics. So it wasn't very much. Uh, but thanks to programs like the EIT Seedbed and the uh, EIT Food Accelerator Networks, I've been through several what I consider mini MBAs that uh, put me at the level of being able to run a startup. So 
even though I didn't have it to begin with, I think it is it is required, and it took me a little bit of time to uh, to learn how to do the business side of things. And uh, Silvega, so you have also have a really interesting background, again technical, but tell us about that because I find that story really interesting. Yeah, so I'm actually quite jealous of Lorenzo for even having an A-level in this. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, literally zero business economic background from my side. Um, I went to university to study uh, industrial design and technology and, um, you know, never really had an idea to, to become an entrepreneur until um, it was actually a university project that got a lot of attention so I always say that the business happened to me um so I think no you don't need experience because I definitely had absolutely like less than zero business experience when I started but what you do really need is like the mindset to learn and accept help and be willing to say like enter pretty big rooms sometimes and say like hey guys I'm completely new to this I'm here to learn like so be really open to accepting mentors listening really carefully to what your customers are telling you like even though you want to hear them say oh, everything is wonderful and we love your product you really need to listen to what they're telling you and uh, I really agree with Lorenzo about accelerator programs being like mini MBAs and uh, that's certainly the position that I now feel in as well and I think overall the thing that's going to pull you through is a bit of a naive enthusiasm that you need to put the energy into it and to be willing to learn things along the way. So Vegas, so you mentioned something earlier, which is really interesting. You said that your business happened to you. So what was the moment when you realized that you you said to yourself, oh, I've got a business here, you know, what actually happened? So as I mentioned, you know, the idea behind Mimica was my final major project uh, at design school. You know, I, while it was was very interesting what I was doing. I didn't really see it going further. And I was encouraged by the university to enter it into something called the James Dyson Award, which is kind of a pretty prestigious design competition that is looking for the kind of best problem being solved by the design students that year. It's an international competition. Entered it, forgot about it, started an internship. <laughs> and then within uh, the second week of my internship, I got a very interesting phone call telling me that I'd won the UK competition and it's a pretty big wow. deal here in the UK so very quickly it was all over the press so front page of Wired uh, website and uh, in the Guardian in the time I, I, my surname was the answer for the Times crossword that weekend which is pretty <laughs> mad no way <laughs> that is amazing life goals <laughs> that, that I, I was gonna say surely you've peaked then that, that's, that's it, it. There's no what else, else is there and then I remember particularly that um, the evening standard ran double page spread about the story with huge full picture of me like holding the product or an early version of the product and uh, you know on the tube home everyone reads the evening standard so it was just this bizarre moment of like me also riding the tube and people looking down at the newspapers and then looking up at me suspiciously and then down again no one said anything silent carriage because it's London um, but uh, that was a pretty surreal experience so um, all of that was happening and basically because it was all over the press food companies started hearing about it and retailers so they were getting in touch and I didn't quit my internship I ended up kind of sneaking out at you know, lunch times to hold meetings at, you know, Coca-Cola's head office at Stan Stas. Um, it was kind of mad. And um, 
probably within six months after that, it only hit me that what I was doing was starting a company rather than I was just seeing it as going to fun meetings where people just said nice things about what I'd created. But then I was like, no, mm. this is actually like something that I should be doing. And um, and I joined my first accelerator program. Amazing. That sounds like every entrepreneur's dream start. So congrats on that. And just on that then, so Lorenzo, I mean, I imagine it's maybe a different story for you, but why did you start uh, Crover? Uh, this is actually very interesting for me to hear so Vega's story because it's probably the first time that I go to a meeting and not everyone is saying, oh, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, which is what usually happens. And then I go, I never even thought of putting together a startup that people look at me strangely because apparently most people think that you you know, you need to fail several times before you can put together a successful startup. Uh, in my case, I mean, the story is quite different, but also it kind of happened uh, to me. Uh, it wasn't really something planned. I was just doing my PhD uh, at the University of Edinburgh in the broad field of granular rheology, which is a bit like saying fluid dynamics, buffer systems made of solid discrete particles, things like uh, sand in the ground, uh, grains, which is what we're focusing on right now, powders and so on. Um, and I just happened to observe a novel physical phenomenon that uh, wasn't really known at the time, uh, what we call now the Crover effect. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, wow. And uh, I, I still didn't really know what to do with it at the time. Uh, I start, you know, putting together a startup was still not the plan. I just started talking to people without really revealing what the technology was, but kind of describing very generally what, what it could do. Uh, and eventually I just happened to uh, meet one of the advisors from the university under suggestion from a friend who started giving me reading materials and things. I didn't really understand at the time that he was a startup advisor. I was just like, oh, it's just a guy, you know, giving me advice and giving me like, you know, useful reading material. So um, I, I really kind of sympathize with Sovega's story because also I didn't realize until a few months into it that what I was actually doing was putting together a startup. And so I was like, okay, you know, this is happening. Uh, this is the way we're going and it's the best way forward rather than an academic route to deliver the benefits that the technology could uh, to, to society and to the world. Incredible. I don't know about you, if, if you don't mind me asking, um, I really kind of like, did not identify with the word entrepreneur for a really long time. Like, cause I'm like, I'm just a designer with this <laughs> thing and I'm go to these meetings and like, I was kind of, uh, in denial that I was even running a startup and that I was becoming an entrepreneur. So um, I'm, I'm really pleased that at least someone else here had that similar experience. We have some accidental entrepreneurs here today. <laughs> and what about you, Ying? So to explain a little bit about uh, Plantic Biosciences, so what exactly do you do and what's your story, your entrepreneurship story? Yeah, so Lorenzo, I think I'm one of those people that you will meet um, that will say that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, I, I guess it's just more like an um, aspirational, I think, um, outcome for somebody coming from business. I remember that when I graduated from uh, business school, most people were going to finance or strategy. And I just was naturally attracted to startups, which was not yet a hot topic back then, I would say, because I think 
think just at the back of my head, I always knew that I wanted to do something more or less myself one day. So I went to work in two startups just to see how things work. They were at different stages. And from there last year, I heard about Entrepreneur First, which is a um, talent investor. They help you to find a co-founder. So I thought that that's great because I didn't want to do this myself. And I wanted to have a tech co-founder so that we can build something that is kind of high barrier. So I went there and I met my co-founder, who is a plant scientist, and he has just done his PhD. So Aditya is his name, and Aditya has had a patent on a gene editing uh, technique on, on plants. So he created a plant that stops sensing temperature uh, change. We thought that that was really interesting. So we started looking into plant breeding because we realized that it is really something important. Um, we have to do something about it because let's look at the food production, for example. Um, it's growing at half the speed that's needed, and which means in 30 years' time, theoretically, we will have more people start than today. And for me, it's just a shocking scenario to enter. And you have two options. Either you increase the surface on which you grow uh, crops, or you have to increase the yield by hectare of the crops. There's another thing is that, yeah, people start to look at alternative protein source as well, more and more. So yeah, generally, we wanted to start a company in plant breeding to bring the new technologies to plant breeding, which is essentially a, a quite old practice in agriculture. Uh, it takes years and um, hundreds of crossing uh, to create a stable new plant. And we thought that, yeah, we could bring up a technology to make everything much faster because you bring the precision, the efficiency to that process. So what we are doing is, is that we want to um, be able to create um, technologies and, and a system where we can just accelerate um, the process of plant breeding. And then we decided to start with hemp, um, aka cannabis. <laughs> it's from the same family, because we we were just amazed by how many applications this plant has. It's a really multi-purpose, very versatile plant. From you know treating patients to provide protein uh, source, it's one of the richest seeds in nature, and to sustainability, it's a, a very good uh, material. People are researching on for bioplastic absorbing CO two, uh, creating carbon neutral farming, et cetera, et cetera. So we were amazed by it. And then we saw that because of the historic prohibition on the plants, the research and knowledge around it really stopped for almost a century, which means there's a lot to do with this plant. So we saw the opportunity there and we think that the newer technology has a higher chance of being applied to this plant compared to, you know, other bigger crops. So that's why we started the company focused on the hemp plants today. Amazing. What an incredible set of uh, varied stories there. So you've got like a dedicated entrepreneur, you know, committed to it, to that course. You've got that kind of eureka moment for Lorenzo that sparked that and Solvega rolling out of her studies and into this sort of accelerator program, which has obviously just exploded. It's, it, it's amazing. Um, just then talking a little bit about where you were all at then. So you're all in the first five years of running your companies. So in terms of like the learning curves, um, what have been some of the biggest challenges that have affected you as a company? And maybe also personally, if you're happy to share that. So Lorenzo, what about you? 
I think the biggest challenge that we're still facing uh, today, you know, when we were talking about the fact that we, we started with the technology rather than the market, is the fact that there is a lot of noise around different startups doing multiple things and a lot of uh, kind of buzzwords like robotics and so on that we sort of somehow fit in, but it's hard uh, always to deliver how innovative what we're doing is. Uh, so when we say that we built the first robotic device that can swim through bulk solids, so effectively the first granular drone, if you want to call it like that, we call it a crover because there's no dictionary word for that. People don't tend to realize that there isn't anything else that can do that right. uh, unless they do the research. So, you know, often I get people that then they do the research and they're like, oh, I didn't realize that this actually didn't exist. Um, so that's a little bit the challenge that we have that just... Uh, you know, the first impression from people is usually, oh, you know, yet another robotic solution that maybe is tackling a specific problem, but they don't realize kind of the wider impact. So I would say that's that's the main challenge that we have is, is more of a kind of PR and marketing challenge. But with the limited resources that we have, it takes a little bit of time to get through it. That's interesting. And, and Solvega, did you go through this similar kind of thing for, for your product? And, you know, maybe is there any kind of tips that you can give Lorenzo in terms of getting that, that marketing out there? I think it's important to keep focused on developing your technology, like while kind of thinking about, you know, at least every couple of weeks or maybe every couple of months at the minimum, you know, there should be something that the general world should be hearing about what you're doing. We're in a lucky position where we've never really done any press releases or anything like that. We just kind of make use of the inbound journalist inquiries that we get. And certainly I'm saying no to most of them that come in because I think at the start I made the mistake of just saying yes to all of them because I thought every single one was going to be the last one. Um, mm. So I think don't, you know, when you start making traction, you don't need to talk to every single publication because... You need to think about who you're trying to reach. And I think I wasn't doing that so much at the start. But um, yeah, I think um, I also would kind of say on social media, don't do it unless you're willing to do it like often. Um, there's no point kind of doing it actively for a couple of weeks and then like then nothing. So I'd rather actually just be in stealth mode, to be honest, until you're willing to put the time and potentially resources into it. So but in terms of my challenge and for Mimica, I started as a sole founder with no business background, which, you know, I was doing my best to learn, but like you can't replace experience for that. So my largest challenge was um, kind of not being sure of myself, whether I was making the right strategy decisions and that sort of thing. And every single decision just would take me three times longer than it might have taken someone else because I was having to like talk to people or like or kind of really think it through myself and just that even when I've made that decision the anxiety of you know is this the right thing I have literally no idea what I'm doing you know things to me seem to be I mean I'm kind of painting myself down but like I was doing an okay job but like it was put I was putting so much brain space into just making it okay and I think that's when I realized I needed more experienced people to come on board and really help me with that so I can really focus on what I'm better at which is maybe not being a CEO. So I actually made the decision a couple of years ago to step aside from the CEO role. And, and I brought in two very experienced guys from the smart packaging field in the smart food industry around reducing food waste. Initially as consultants, because, you know, you want to date around for a while before you marry. But uh, <laughs> uh, I invited um, 
Lawrence Kaysen and Laurie Matthews into the company as a CEO and CTO. And um, that's been the best decision for me. And I've, it opened up my headspace to kind of just think about other things because I, re- I, d- I hadn't realised until I made the change just how much of my headspace was full of just making 100 decisions a day that I didn't feel very qualified to do. So um, the whole company has been running so much better. The team is happier ever since I made that change. So don't feel like you are bound to being the CEO just because you founded the company is my advice. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of brings me back to what I was thinking about what Ying was saying. Like most people think being an entrepreneur or a founder is a solo lonely job. And at like what point is the right point to bring on a co-founder? Would you, from your experiences, like Ying sounds like you you did this with your co-founder from the beginning, whereas Lorenzo and Silvega, you were technically strong and the business happened to you. So what advice would uh, both of you you know, provide to our audience who are technical founders thinking that they need to do this alone? Mm, I didn't want to do it alone. I actually was kind of looking for a, a co-founder, but I couldn't find the right person. And hearing some nightmare stories about some proper fallouts between co-founders, I decided that while I would like to do this with a co-founder, I think the wrong co-founder is much more harmful than being a sole founder so that's what I was doing for a little while but then when I I got to meet both Lawrence and Laurie it was actually an introduction from the head of packaging at Marks and Spencer that made that introduction because they were already working with them and um, yeah they kind of uh, Laurie in particular mentored me for a while and then you know when they sold up the business and did really well with with their previous business they got in touch with me saying like we like what you're doing at Mimica can we help you know, it just the opportunity presented itself. And at the time when I kind of stepped aside as CEO, a lot of people kind of got in touch with me asking me if I'm okay, has something huge in my life happened? Like, have I burnt out? Like, and I'm like, no, but like, are you seeing who is willing to take the helm of this huge mission led company that, you know, I frankly, I'm still learning, but you know, I, I can't do the job that they can do in terms of delivering mimic her at the scale it needs to to have the impact it needs to have so I'm like are you seeing who's taking over like why wouldn't I do this <laughs> and I'm still involved in the company like full-time uh we changed my role to founder and director and what that basically means is that I get on get to work on whatever I want to and still represent the company <laughs> um you know at events I think I think choosing that title is important I was exploring some other titles but this one really kind of allows me to speak at conferences and go to all the right rooms because I guess honestly people mix it up for the CEO title and that's okay but I know that day-to-day that's not my role anymore. Amazing and I I can see Ying on the on our call here nodding away it sounds like you're kind of agreeing with what Solveig is saying given the state the early stage that you're at are you seeing a lot of what you're going through in what Solveig is you know explaining to us? I just really like resonate with what Sovega said on like finding your spots in the mission. I mean, we're super early stage compared to you guys. Uh, we founded the company last year, but I also really uh, think that, yeah, w- with time going, I really see like the spots that I'm occupying in the company could change and that wouldn't be something really like painful for me, I think. What is really important is the mission. It is what we are trying to build. And as long as that's there, I think personally where where I sit is not that 
important as long as I'm contributing to it. So even though I'm not there yet, but I I just, I think in terms of value, I I really agree with that. And I I really appreciate, I think you, you sharing that. Back on like challenges, I mean, as a company, we face a lot of challenges, but today I think the main thing is that our industry is a really young one. It's really growing. And the plant, as I said before, it has so many applications. So seemingly you have an abundance of choices to start somewhere, but it is also then a curse of choice because you really don't know where to start. Um, you can change this plant or optimize this plant for so many things. And where do you start? And I used to kind of worry about this, but then the more I speak to other entrepreneurs who have been in their journey for many, many years, I realized that it's a constant thing that you have to live w- with this fact that the market is changing, your customers are also evolving. And this is a question you have to probably ask yourself all the time and reevaluate and adapt to what is happening. So right now our strategy is to, yeah, um, develop things in parallel uh, with the resource that we have and try to smartly, you know, choose maybe one or two specific targets to, to start with. But what's really important in our mission is to build up this kind of system where you can just work on the target much faster compared to the traditional techniques. On the personal aspect, I've had so many challenges in in this journey, but I think one of the most um, revealing thing um, to me is that I had to accept the fact that I would just have lows, like highs and lows, you know, in how I'm working. Maybe before when I was working in a setup where I had a team, I had a boss and all that, it was it was less evidence. But as an entrepreneur, even if I had a co-founder from the beginning, it's still a quite um, lonely journey sometimes, especially during COVID times, you are in remote and you are really by yourself a lot of times. But I really learned to live with that and accept that as a journey of entrepreneur. And you just have to deal with things happening so fast and deal with all sorts of information and and news happening in your day and, you know, try to be Zen about it. Yeah. Zen about it. I like that. And, uh, I just put put on that point about Zen. Uh, I mean, Lorenzo, you're obviously a little bit further along. Does this get easier? Uh, well, I mean, we're not that much further ahead. Uh, we incorporated two years ago, but we didn't really have a team until last year. Uh, so we, we were just uh, probably a few months ahead of Ying. Uh, so yeah, it's still a lot of the problems that uh, she was talking about, I totally sympathize with because we were still facing them now. But the main thing that has changed is that we've been able to put together a team. Whilst initially it was just me having to handle everything, we've uh, brought some amazing people into the team that uh, can handle a lot of things much better than I do. And that's why we're able to be much more zen, like she said, about it, because I, I know that I can trust other people to handle certain things that I, I'm not experienced with myself, uh, which kind of links with what uh, Solvega was saying as well, uh, bringing in more experienced people to take care of things so that you can focus on what you're good at. And Lorenzo, as an academic, I guess your, your network and your circles, I'm going to assume is predominantly other academics. So... Going from an academic to entrepreneur, what advice would you give to someone in a similar situation for going for help, taking a lab idea and making it into a commercial proposition? Well, I kind of um, already had decided before all uh, all of Crover happened that I was done with academia. It was uh, it was not the environment for for me. I would say. I mean, I I very much enjoy doing scientific work, but just the environment itself, I I didn't enjoy very much. 
And uh, yeah, it, it is a very radical change. It's an entirely different world. Uh, people are nicer, but at the same time, you know that they are more fake. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, it's a bit of a balance in terms of interpreting what people actually mean. So I'm, I'm still learning how to handle the different environment, but I, I find it one that personally feels much more rewarding uh, and I'm better suited for. And where do you go for help? Like in terms of, you know, how did you, any advice for our listener in terms of finding mentors or advisors? Uh, well, we got some amazing mentors from EIT Food, so that definitely helps. <laughs> um, especially since, you know, we, we've had uh, a couple of other mentors uh, uh, that were really experienced and super helpful. Uh, but when you go through most of the standard routes, especially here in Scotland, uh, uh, the ecosystem is historically focused on digital tech and biotech, primarily biotech. So it's really hard to find people that have had experience in the kind of things that we do. Whilst through the EIT Food Network, we've been able to find people that uh, had more grain storage specific experience and that has been very helpful because uh, also has as helped us and is still helping us right now uh, to realize some things that we weren't able to see ourselves. Really great to hear that we are doing our job correctly. <laughs> um, and Silvega, what about you? You're a little bit, you know, uh, further along. And um, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs starting up in terms of asking for help and getting the help? I've personally actually found that um, I have gotten a bit more value out of mentors that haven't been assigned to me through programs. I mean, obviously you get some help because, uh, you know, they're, they're well qualified and that kind of thing. But I feel like you really get to the next level of getting valuable information from someone if you just genuinely have a spark with uh, with someone and they, you know, can really kind of, they don't have to see themselves in you, but like, you know, they, they, they need to definitely like you and then kind of want to go above and beyond their kind of outside of a program, you know, when you've just got set hours to work with your mentor. And I found the most valuable mentors to be ones that, I know we can't do that anymore, but like that I've met at networking events after the, you know, the talks and stuff, you've got a glass of wine and you, they someone's listening to your story and they're like, wow, how can I help? And then they talk about their background and it's like, they've got some really useful experience to share with you. And you just kind of end up naturally following up and forming real friendships out of it. So I think you don't need to like invite them to be your mentor. Like you don't need to put a title on it, which is why I think people kind of get confused about it could just be someone that you bounce emails with or uh, meet for coffee with and, and or, or, or take a call for. It's not just one person either. I'm a very promiscuous mentee and and uh, and I also kind of see your peers as mentors as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ying, do you have one mentor, multiple mentors? Have you found that useful? Yeah, we've had multiple mentors as well. We've had great mentors through um, the EIT Food Program. Now we are also accelerated um, by Start Life, a ag tech specialized accelerator in the Netherlands. So in my experience, um, sometimes we would naturally go for our mentors that seems to have the perfect fit on paper, whether it's, uh, you know, on technology or on like the sectors. But it's not naturally like all the time the best person to be on your project because just as um, what Salvega was saying, I actually feel like people who are just genuinely excited about your projects 
and they start to, you know, give you a thousand ideas all of a sudden, just like that. Those are the people that are really like excited about what you're doing and they probably are going to be the most committed to help you. So yeah, I, we started to shift from that kind of, you know, the, the perfect person on paper kind of thing to, you know, uh, who is really genuinely passionate and excited about what we're doing. Um, it's, it's almost also like a dating process, like Sovika <laughs> was saying, like it takes long and um, obviously we have the, the objective to, you know, onboard them um, more for a longer term as advisors. And, but you have to kind of spend the time and, and see how, how you work together before you can decide on that. Yeah, I love that. So finding passionate mentors is a key thing, it seems, as well. Yeah. yeah. Picking up from what you said, Ying, you know, you started off an entrepreneur first and now you're on the EIT Food Seabook program. And just to give a little bit of background to listeners, so EIT Food, we offer various different um, startup support programs that really complement the different journeys of um, the entrepreneurs go through from really early stage ones you are trying to validate their ideas. And then we have our Food Accelerator Network, which really focus on companies to establish relationships with partners and really build the company. And then Silvega is part of our Rising Food Stars is an association that helps establish companies to really scale, to think about growing internationally. So these are the three different programs. So coming back to Ying, like how important is it to have support from Accelerator Support Services and how do you go about picking the right one? Um, I'm, I'm really thankful to um, EIT Food uh, Seedback Program because it came really in the middle of lockdown during COVID-19. So it was in April and yeah, we started to feel, you know, naturally worried about what's happening and our like lab operations had to halt all of a sudden. And I think it really came at a great time for us, for this, this cohort. And we are always asking ourselves like which sectors to enter, as I mentioned before. And um, through the Seedbed program, we had a chance to explore more sectors that we didn't necessarily have connections in. So we learned about, you know, plastics, um, how the um, bioplastics is, um, they are, they're developing in terms of technology and markets. Um, we could also learn on the construction uh, side of things um, because hempcrete is also a great material for, for building, but we didn't necessarily had connections in those sectors uh, to speak to, to, to learn more about um, what, what they need. So I think um, the Seedback program has been really helpful uh, in that regard for us to, you know, understand better uh, what potential partners and customers would want. Thanks, Ying. And Lorenzo, is, is that connection piece obviously critical to what you've been going through with, uh, with the, the FAN program? Uh, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, we are, we're also, uh, we, we've been in the Seedback program before uh, and uh, the best thing about all the EIT food programs that we've experienced is that network of, uh, you know, some of the top food companies across Europe uh, that you can connect to that will also reach out to you once they hear through the network about your technology and the possibility of establishing partnerships with them. Uh, so I, I would say that's the top benefit. That is something that takes a lot of time and is really hard to do without the EIT food support. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. Uh, and Solvega, I guess back to you then. I mean, is the Rising Food Stars program, is that changing your focus or, check your, or have your needs changed with the program? Um, I think since joining the program, we actually kind of developed our product to the point where we're ready to scale it. And um, so that's been an interesting change. And so now our, our focus has 
shifted to okay who in the network can we do projects with and you know some of these companies are within eit food the corporates um, we've been chatting to kind of on a casual basis like we'd kind of catch up every few months so now you know we're like hey we're in this club together like we can maybe access some funding and like do something really exciting <laughs> together so it really kind of provides that nudge and and reason to do something together and uh, within the kind of framework of, of EIT food, that's really helpful. And I'm really excited to say that we're going to be doing a innovation project funded by EIT food next year with uh, some really exciting partners. And we also are doing what's called a traction project uh, with one uh, partner as well. Um, I'm not going to say any names yet because I can't at this stage, but um, it's, all, it's all because of EIT food. So thank you very much. Oh, that's amazing. Look at that. I mean, and for our listeners, apologies. This is a, this is a shameless plug for I think, EIT food, but uh, it's really great actually to see that, you know, we can help startups at pretty much any stage of their journey all the way through from kind of first idea um, all the way through to scaling up. So that's great to know and great to have you guys to explain that to everybody. Um, just talking about the growth piece then as we move on you know so you've got all those big plans to grow but i think ying uh, you mentioned covid i'm surprised it hasn't come up already you know resilience is a huge part of you know building and growing your business so just looking back over the past year maybe particularly as we've gone through the, the covid pandemic you know what have been your experiences have things changed for you um, maybe you've sort of pivoted or, you know, maybe you found opportunities actually through COVID. Um, maybe Sol Vega, we can start with you. And the reason I'd like to start with you, because I remember on the last podcast, which you were on, you were talking about values and being a purpose-driven business. And I was just wondering, has being a purpose-driven business helped you stay the course hmm. through the, the last year? Um, that's a really interesting question. So firstly, I think I'll start by saying that, um, establishing our, I mean, we always had our mission, which is the reason we started, which is to radically reduce unnecessary food waste. But I realized it was pretty late in the project, I think. Uh, we only set up our values, like established our values about a year and a half ago. And uh, that was a really useful exercise because um, it really helped the team pull together and say, like, what makes us different and, like, you know, the things that we stand for and just having them written down and agreed by the team. And um, I think that also kind of helped me feel I had a tendency early on to kind of maybe micromanage a bit. And I think, you know, just coming from not a business background, I thought that that's what I needed to do. But I think actually establishing the values in place and writing them in a way that they should really kind of be your guiding principles for making decisions, even if like, you know, someone from the management team hasn't told you to do that. Like, what would I do if I was living the Mimica value? So whether that's making the impossible possible, so kind of thinking long term, thinking big, like not just thinking short term. So how would I make that decision based on that principle and being creatively efficient and efficiently creative? So like kind of hustling to kind of get a prototype done and like for the least cost possible in the quickest time. Like, so they don't need me to tell the team those things. So that I think generally in the business, like other than being able to talk about being a values-led company, which that's not the reason why we set them up. They should really be helping you out in terms of helping your team become more autonomous in, in everything that they do. So 
during coronavirus times, we've really lent into our kind of people-focused values. So we've always had health and family first. So kind of making it really clear that, you know, it's going to be a really challenging time and some of us have family members to look after or, or, or you know, have some special care to. And, and we don't hide the fact that, for example, Lawrence, our CEO, every Monday afternoon, he he hasn't been doing Lumica stuff because he has to go make sure that his mum has her shopping done. And um, that's something that we've been really clear that, you know, you need to do what you need to do. This is just your job. Uh, you're obviously using your job for good, but right now we really need to be focusing on the things that really matter and um, kind of being a bit more patient with people, understanding that this might be a, a difficult time mental health wise for some of our team members, but also in our partners. So I think, you know, especially as you're not getting that FaceTime, it, it could be easier to get frustrated when you're not getting the response you need from a particular partner, but also recognizing that they're a human too. You know, kindness and respect is another one of our values and just assuming good intentions is something we keep repeating at Mimica. Like no one really is out there to kind of get you. I mean, obviously that's sometimes they are, but like on the most part, they're not. And just kind of treating people with the, just kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt is something that we've been really leaning into over the last six months. I, I love that. I really respect that. You know, it's being solid on your values, which helps you sort of stay the course. And, uh, you know, the autonomy piece, as you say, is sort of so super important as an entrepreneur to help you grow as well. So thank you for sort of explaining that to everyone. Um, Ying, what about you? How has the, you know, I know you said that you kind of started through this process. So how has that affected you? I really resonate again with <laughs> Selvega as she was saying that, yeah, this, this crisis um, for us, I think it taught us to live with imperfection, which is very important, I think, for a startup. So at the beginning of the lockdown, we were in the course of sending the first plant DNA samples to a lab for getting data back. And all of a sudden that was not possible anymore. We had to wait a month or a little bit more than that. And when we could do that again, we realized that the samples, they were not perfect anymore because they stayed in the fridge for too long. And then we had to make a choice between, you know, going through with it or, or not. And then we really made a call to say that having imperfect data is better than having no data. So let's just have something and work with that and see what that is. And so I'm really happy that we made that call because today we are using that to build up the the, the groundwork of uh, the data pipelines. And but it was it was not an easy call to make because you know it was the first time you do that. You really want it to be perfect, and you're spending money on that as well. So I think it's a hard call, but we really learned that you have to just you know do something. Sometimes it doesn't need to be perfect and. It just helps you to reach the, the, the learning that you need at this stage. And that, I think, is what COVID taught us. Apart from that, we stayed really close with our partners that are specialized in other parts of the supply chain, the value chain, to learn what they're going through. And we realized that COVID also brought new opportunities to the industry. More people are thinking about changing their career or you know, the course of uh, life and looking to new opportunities. Um, so yeah, they actually had more like potential clients inquiring on you know hemp-based products. We had a partner that 
um, try to you know respond to COVID with uh, chemical compounds off the plants that could contribute to some meaningful products um, people could use during COVID. So I think that's all great for us to know, and we could only know that because we stayed close to people and uh, you know just keep updating each other and how we are going through this crisis together. So yeah, it has been difficult, but um, some good learnings from it as well. Thanks, Ying. Living with imperfection and being people-centered. I love it. Yeah, that's very entrepreneurial. <laughs> and uh, Lorenzo, what about you? So what have been your experiences so far navigating through COVID? Yeah, it's tough, it's tough coming after because I, I think Ying and Solvega <laughs> put it very nicely. But uh, And I resonate with a lot of uh, the issues. Uh, I think from one side, you have the economic opportunity and uh, the market need, uh, which, if anything, with the two crises that we have at the moment, you know, the short-term one, which is the COVID pandemic, and the long-term ones, which is climate change and uh, food security, uh, demand for what we're building has increased. Uh, even before the pandemic, we were in from uh, the market that they don't have the workforce to verify the condition of the grains as often and as well as they need to, on top of not having the tools to do it. And uh, also the fact that, you know, the food demand has increased uh, and uh, people are trying to increase production whilst you have significant losses down the supply chain that you can actually uh, reduce with a system like ours. So demand has increased, but obviously the R part has been, uh, like Ying and Solvega said, uh, the, the internal operations, uh, making sure that we can work as well as possible. Obviously, it's not as easy as before, but we find ways internally. The other thing is really dealing with other suppliers. If you need a certain piece of kit or a certain analysis, uh, uh, you got to wait much longer right now. So planning has become much more important because you got to plan much farther ahead and it's no longer possible to get things done in a, in a few days. Uh, so you got to have very good structures in place. And I think if anything, that has made us potentially more resilient for a normal situation, because we are able to deal with problems that before they would have been catastrophic. And right now, because we are dealing with any sort of potential issues, we are ready for anything to happen. Firefighting mode. Yeah, that's right. It sounds like it's really helped you kind of strengthen yourselves, uh, which is, you know, given all of the the chaos that's that's been happening over the last sort of six six ish months. That's that's really positive to hear. So thanks, Lorenzo. So guys, I think uh, we've had a really good chat today, but I think we're nearly running out of time. So really quickly, roundtable. What's next for each of you? So Selvega. So. We're really fortunate that our very intense grant writing efforts during the midst of lockdown have started to pay off. So we're delighted to have support from EIT for the big project next year. The really exciting thing is, is that we wrote in some of our prospective customers in. So this will be the first step that we're going to be taking with some of our potential customers formally in doing some of these grant projects. So I'm really excited to see what that will turn into. Oh, well done. Congratulations. And Yang, what about you? What's next for you in Plantic? Yeah, so we will also have our first research collaboration projects quite soon. So yeah, we are really excited about that with the university. And we are going to look into fundraising next year. It's going to be a big challenge as well. So yeah, we are preparing like really like writing down our targets to see what we want to achieve before that and get some learning from there as well. Brilliant. Good luck. And Lorenzo? 
Yeah, it's a really exciting time for us as well. Uh, after being in stealth mode uh, for about two years and having to hide our robo uh, from people, we have finally been able to reveal it to the world at the TechCrunch Israel Battlefield stage two weeks ago. So finally, we can show it to people. People are getting much more excited because they can actually see what we're working on. And uh, we've also started our Innovate UK project in partnership with uh, Agri, the AgriEpicenter and our cooperative here in Scotland to work on grain sampling as well. That has started this month. And uh, we are starting the first large-scale trials uh, in a few weeks. Brilliant. Huge congratulations. Yeah, Amazing. Well I, I have to admit, I really want to see this robot, Lorenzo. I want to see a <laughs> robot swim. I, I, swimming through grain as well. I mean, come on. Amazing. <laughs> I'll send you the link. <laughs> we'll have to make a video to go along with the with the podcast. Yeah. And again, really quickly. So where can people find out more about you and your company? So Solvega. The best place is to go to our website, mimicalab.com. But we're also pretty active across the main social media platforms. So uh, particularly LinkedIn is a great place to, to connect with us and follow our updates. Brilliant. And Ying? We are revamping our uh, website, so I think very soon it will be a good place to find more information on us and also LinkedIn. Yeah, we are um, active on LinkedIn to to share like more news. And Lorenzo? Uh, yeah, you can learn more about us uh, on our website at www.crover.tech uh, and you're free to reach me at uh, lorenzo.conti at crover.tech. Brilliant. Thank you all. Amazing. Thank you very much. So yeah, just to say, to finish this off, Ying, Lorenzo and Solvega, thank you so very much for your time today. Another fascinating episode. Great to hear about all of your journeys. So I hope that's been super useful for our listeners. This has been the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food. If you'd like to check us out, uh, please go to eitfood.eu forward slash podcast or hit us up on Twitter at eitfood. Uh, and given the episode that we've just had, please do make sure you also check out our entrepreneurship section of our website to find out more about applying to our startup programs in 2021. So please keep fighting for a better food future. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.